Hey there, welcome to the Clyde Podcast. This is Willow Weston, the founder and director. I can't wait to hand you this episode, but I first want to remind you, if you are new here, we bring this podcast to you every single Wednesday. It's like a little gift in your inbox, so you can subscribe from you listen to podcasts on. And it's like we're handing you a gift every week. And how can I say that? Uh, I can say that because I sit with these people that I interview every week. And man, I experience the gift myself. I feel like I just learned so much. I was just so challenged and so inspired by this interview this week. I hope it blesses you the same. This is Carrie Garcia. She is a pastor, an author, a CEO, and immense personal struggles and emerged victorious. She shares a bit about her personal story in this episode. She founded the Freedom Movement, which is a nonprofit that addresses issues of brokenness and pain that are addressed. And she wrote the book Free and Fully Alive. And she truly challenges us in this episode to look deeper at the root of our pain and our brokenness so that it doesn't come out sideways, but truly bring our whole truth to Jesus so it can be fully whole and then we can live fully free and alive. So check out this episode. I think you're going to love it. Carrie, I love with you offline a little bit. We had a, had some fun making <laughs> fun of ourselves hitting the 40s, the decade of the 40s. See, talking Jesus, about, help me see. <laughs> <laughs> talking about granny. That's class. right. Oh when you goodness. get in your forties, no the shame goes. Like you're just, there, at some point, what was cute is no longer what is needed. What helps you actually see battle preach is what we do. You yes. know what I'm saying? Sight, sight matters. <laughs> I mean, yes, my my son, like uh, what the recipe said. Like, 100%. is it a half cup? Is it a third cup? And he's like, Oh yeah. my gosh, you can't see, yeah. mom. I'm like, and no. Get behind me, say it with that kind of judgment. I'm not here for it. there's so many things i want to ask you carrie you are a pastor an author you're a ceo you've you've written a book i'm curious in all of this and and again i have so many things i want to ask you how did you become a voice on becoming free and fully alive for other people i mean some people have become a voice for um you know how to take care of dogs well, or <laughs> how to uh, eat healthy. Mm-hmm. But you became a voice in your life. Here you are in mm-hmm. your 40s, rocking those cute glasses. Girl. And you become a voice for helping people be fully free and fully alive. How did, how did God fold that story in your life? Well, let's just jump out the gate. Here's for all of you that are listening, and I truly believe this to be true, that out of the particularities of our pain comes the particularities of our calling. And when we, you know, I think a big question for everybody, Christian people is like, what is my calling? Like, what am I here to do? Outside of love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, love your neighbor, as yourself. What am I uniquely gifted and not just gifted, but what am I called to do? And for me, and what I've discovered over the course of doing story work care for the past 30 years, is I have discovered most uh, most truly 
that it is from the places of the painful parts of our story that begin to be redeemed, that then begin to say, on my watch, will I continue to let this happen on the land? Heaven, yes, hell no. And it, and it, you start to get this holy discontent. And for me, growing up in church, having a mom who uh, was, you know, my dad's a pastor, my mom, pastor's wife, the worship team, she played the egg shaker, you know, because we were radical Baptists, you know, <laughs> out there. And, and that's, that's right, right. And, and showing up every Sunday, dressed well, talked well, knew the part, went home, but didn't talk about my mom's eating disorder, her mental illness, or the fact that my dad was you know, really using ministry in a lot of ways as a distraction to what was really happening in our home. So that created for a very long story for me of numbing because I didn't know how to make sense of my world. My world was very duplicit, church world, home life. And so I didn't know what to do with those emotions. And so I numbed them with drugs uh, for almost 10 years of my life. And then I got off drugs and numbed them, although I didn't know I was numbing them, but used ministry really as my addiction. And here's the truth. I knew that God had an abundant life for us because I heard it. I didn't actually have any concept of what that meant. I really thought that in order to experience the abundant life, I needed to perform my way into some kind of good religious standing with God. Like I was going to use my testimony for ministry. I was going to stand on stage and people get free. And the problem is, is you really can't take others farther than you're willing to go yourself. And so where you find me today and really what the crux of writing this book that I wrote was really a how-to guide on how to actually the rooted stories that determine so much of our behaviors and patterns that are keeping us in a cycle of false freedom, behavior modification, and not true heart transformation. So that's why this book is here. I, I am here today talking about what does it, not just what does it mean to live fully alive, but how. How do I do it in a practical sense? And, and how do I start engaging the places of my story that are determining my I want to ask you multiple questions about the how, but before we get to that, you talk about sort of this duplicitous life and spirituality that not only you experienced in your home, but then you began your own adult life. So what was that that moment or that season for you where you recognized things aren't lining up. I'm inviting people to go places I myself haven't gone. You know, I'm I'm inviting people life that I'm I'm not actually living when you recognize that there was this duplicitousness in your own life what did you do and what helped you here's the thing i had no clue i wasn't living exactly what god wanted me to live my entire programmed through performance i saw my mom perform and fake it i saw my dad perform and although they love, both loved jesus there was no place for honesty so when i was functioning in performance i thought i was killing it for the kingdom I thought I was doing exactly the lights are out, no one's around, and the quietness of either your own heart or in your own marriages or with your own children where you're the most honest, or at least you can't hide as well. Uh, I was faced with my own anger, my own frustration, ability to avoid and minimize. 
And really a long story short was you can only fake it so long until things start to unravel. And it did for me. My parents got divorced. I felt like Camelot fell, which then gave me, whether knowingly or unknowingly, to start feeling the feelings I had growing up. And I was enraged. Um, I was a very angry person, but I was preaching for Jesus. Um, but I had no idea how to connect to my rage because good Christians aren't angry. They just serve. And so it really, what happened was through the course of my parents' divorce and then my divorce, everything fell apart. My whole life fell apart. And over the course of two years, just, uh, a spiraling out of, I cannot fake this anymore and uh, lived out a lot of behaviors that I'm not proud of, but I could see why I did them. And at 27 years old, relapsed and found myself at a stop sign ready to take my life. And this is generational for me. My mom had ended up committing suicide. And so for me, it's a very intense story of a mark said, if you turn this car around, it will be very difficult. However, I am with you in the honesty of your story. And that began from 27 and 49 today, from that moment, began the trajectory shift meant to love God in my most ugly, to be angry at him and have him not leave, to tell the truth about my family of origin and not feel like I was dishonoring them and understanding what honor actually meant. This was a course for me. So I can't say, it's almost like a dimmer switch. I can't say that all of a sudden the lights were on and everything was good. It was mm. one moment after another moment of being more truthful and telling a more true story about what was really happening and what was really true and what I really felt. And that began the trajectory shift. And that's where you find me today telling a more truer story about what I was raised in, about who God is and who I am in. It's. It's so amazing what God can do when we start to get honest with ourselves and with others and with yes. Him. And I, I just want to say I'm so glad you are here. Me you too. are here, and you have allowed that God who said, "If you turn this car around, I'm with you in the mess." You've allowed Him to not just bring healing into your life, but now you're allowing Him to use you to bring healing into so many other people. Talk about. Um, an amazing yes. story. Yes. I love it so much. Truly be to God. <laughs> a minute ago, you said good Christians aren't angry. They just serve. Right. Then you talk about how all of this stuff just starts coming out. I call it, it comes out sideways. The, all the, the, like, when we don't deal we don't heal and and it doesn't go anywhere all the stuff doesn't go anywhere it's still there it outside ways so for you it, it seeped out sideways and kind of culminated in this moment that you relapsed but i'm curious because just that statement good christians aren't fill in the blank they serve that seems like a statement that so many women make, but it might be good Christians aren't what? I mean, angry, what else? Uh, good Christians don't have bad emotions. Good Christians don't talk bad about 
and good Christians uh, avoid or minimize the pain they've experienced. Good Christians don't name the truth of what's happening in their marriage. Good Christians read the Bible but don't know how to be present with the Lord. Good Christians serve at the demise or their own ability to actually bring positive and good boundaries. Good Christians light themselves on fire so everyone can stay warm. I mean, uh, we could go on and on and on about, you know, good Christians, good Christians make money it all away. Good Christian, like it's, it is this good Christians operate in behavior modification because behavior is what God sees and what God cares about. And, and good Christians don't really the things that are really going on, because if they just have enough faith, those things they don't want to talk about will just go away. So mm-hmm. you are rocking performance. And I, I think there's so many people listening who are like, I've, I've, I'm surviving. I'm making, I'm making it work. Like I, I don't have to deal with all of this. It's not going to come out sideways. I, I venture to guess in your story that there were indicators before you got to the stop sign, your relapse, there must have been indicators that the healing that needed to take place in your life wasn't being dealt with and it was starting to come out sideways. Yes. Were there? I mean, all over the place. But when you're not, when you're raised in a home, you only know what you know until you know something different. So for me, what good Christians looked like was stuffing things under the rug showing up on Sunday, making meaning from your testimony. It wasn't healing. You make meaning from it. Carrie was on drugs. Mm-hmm. Let's, let's now create a drugs ministry because she's been redeemed from drugs. Here's the problem. We spend hours, money, ta- like all the things on trying to he- talk about behaviors that are bad, but we don't spend any time talking about why did I do drugs in the first place? I didn't, I wasn't seven years old and was like, one day I want to be a meth addict, have an affair and get divorced and commit suicide. That The plan was I wanted to be on Oprah, to be honest with you. I was like rehearsing in my room. You know, I mean, like I wanted to be that girl. And, and so, yeah, I can look back at those indicators now, but at that time I had no indicators. What I knew was I was rebellious, quote unquote, because I'm doing bad things. And no one was telling me, hey, maybe it's not just because you're doing bad things because you're a bad kid. Maybe there's something deeper going on inside this home that causes you to be the blinking Something is not okay here. But no one navigated that with me. So yes, sitting here, I can look back and say, of course, my mom's avoidance of me, my mom's you know, whistling when I would talk when she was mad at me and her silent treatment every night, you know, helping everyone in the church and leaving us to fend, you know, the multiple times my dad found things uh, that I was doing that were drugs and ignored that those were happening, or at least believed me when I told them they weren't mine. Those are things I can look back. Most of us sitting, listening to this until we have someone engage us and invite us through scripture, that there is a more truer story to tell and that you actually have permission to tell that, we will continue chopping off the top of the to the root. We will go from one behavior to the next. Performance was the way I go, well, that's what good Christians do, because that's what I saw. So that's what I did. And it didn't mm-hmm. work. It didn't heal me. Mm-hmm. It actually made me further from God. 
chapters and further from who God created me to be. You talk a lot about behavior modification, and I think you are inviting us to look below the surface and not just sort of change what we look doing. But can you teach us, those of us who are listening, can you give us examples of this is what behavior modification looks like rather than dealing with what's at the root of the surface? I mean, you do a ton of work with people. Are there examples where just this is what it looks like. This is the temporary Band-Aid we're putting on something that is a way uh, deeper one. Yeah. I mean, you could go to big ones like pornography or drug addiction. Those are the things where most of us go, drug addiction is not, you know, maybe as normal. Pornography is huge. But we can look at those things as like the big behaviors. Like we're doing behaviors to not have to feel what's going on. And so we're taught to stop the behavior, change your life. And the problem is, is that we look at bad behaviors um, like that and we go, okay, good. I stopped doing porn. But we didn't really deal with why porn becomes a place of soothing for us. It becomes a place of even although counterfeit intimacy, it is most soothing. So our bodies are looking for, our nervous system is looking for places where we can find soothing, where we can find worth, where we can find places of belonging and safety. So let's take this into the ministry world. So the lady who goes, oh my gosh, Sally is she's always helping and her busyness is worn like a badge of honor. There would be a question for me that I'm like, Sally, Who is holding your story and why are you here all the time with your family or not home and caring for yourself? Uh, So we could look at places like busyness. We look at places like ministry and we go, ministry is going to be the thing that I can really help others. Therefore, it will help me. Ministry, like speaking ministry was better to me than doing math. Uh, The high I got from all y'all's applause made me feel a sense of worth, and it brought what we would call momentary homeostasis to our body, which means I felt a sense of false peace. It was false freedom. Oh my gosh, I'm living in my calling. No, I'm not. I'm not living. I have good giftings from God and I can use this, but they were being used in the hands of the enemy against my own life, exploiting my gift. I had not learned what it meant to actually heal my heart and operate from a place of filling rather than I'm needing external things to fill me, heal me, and make me feel okay. Fill in the blank. Perfect mom, behavior modification. I need to have the perfect marriage, behavior modification. I need to be successful, behavior modification. Is it wrong to do ministry? No. Is it wrong to be successful? No. Is it wrong to want to be a good mom? No. But if that external thing is the thing that is going to make birth or health or healing or freedom, it is a cycle of false freedom and you will not find it there. I love how deep your challenge It's so good. and backgrounds, but we all share the universal experience of pain. We all have baggage, grief, fear, disappointment, and unmet dreams. At Collide, we aren't afraid of the mess and pain that life inevitably brings. In fact, we enter into pain because we are certain that God does too. The Counseling Bundle 
Resource will meet you right where you are with practical tools to help you find healing and hope. This course features 12 sessions of video content from licensed mental health counselors, a registered dietitian, and a calling and career coach. Hours of instruction that cover a wide range of topics, you'll receive expert advice from therapists who specialize in what you're working through. You'll also receive a printed workbook with space for taking notes, as well as helpful worksheets, questions, and goal-setting tools to help you on your journey toward health and wholeness. A healthy life and spirituality is possible, and these sessions with therapists will help you take actual steps toward the life you desire. We believe that everyone deserves access to authentic healing and practical resources, which is why we're offering all of this for just $99, the price of what one therapy session would normally cost. Don't wait any longer to take that first step in journey. Check out our counseling bundle today. Visit our website at wecollide.net slash counseling bundle to learn more and enroll now. Our link is in the show notes. I, how deep you're challenging us to go. <laughs> it's so good. In your book, you encourage people to embrace their past. And so many of us want to ignore our past or run from our past. Tell us more about why to embrace it. It tells the truth. And if the truth sets us free, then we have to tell the truth. Our story, our past tells where we've come from. Remember the story of Hagar when she was and then uh, slept with and now has, you know, Abraham's baby and is pregnant. And then Sarah brings so much harm to her that Hagar is willing to run into the wilderness, which means she's going to die. She's a trafficked woman who now has no covering. And God meets her in the wilderness. And he says to her two questions, opening questions, by the way, uh, Hagar, where have you come from? And where are you going? Now, God knows the answers to these things. And yet what he wants for her is in connection with her. To be able to embrace where she's come from helps her more identify why she's going where she's going. And the truth is, is that for all of us, we did not just get here by sudden we wake up one day and here we are. We were in our mother's womb by a God who had destiny written on our bones. And then we were shaped by a world that was fallen and broken, by parents who were fallen and broken, because all of us are, and by an enemy hell-bent on eradicating the goodness in which he sees in your life. So we were formed for goodness, and we were marked with harm. And if we can't embrace the story, then we never know has marked us and brought us where we are today which will never then reveal who we were truly created to be. You can say, I don't want to embrace my story. I mean, I'm a Christian now. Oh, the old is gone. And we take that scripture out of context from Paul. The old is gone, but nothing to do with story. It has everything to do with my purpose. And if the story didn't matter, then the resurrected body of Jesus bearing the scars of his past in his resurrected body tells us not to be forgotten because it tells the truth of where we've come from, which will then be able to give us insight into where we're going. Mm, so good. It makes me think of John Ford, the woman at yes. the well who had 
connection with Jesus. And it was so life-changing, right? She leaves her water jar. She runs into her city. And she doesn't say what you think she says. She says, come and see a man everything I ever did. Like, come come and see a man who who just opened up my story, knows everything about my story, and look what he did with all of it. They run over and their lives are changed. I think it's it's so... God uses our whole story, not just our post sort of, I gave my life to Jesus and now I'm good story. And I love that you're reminding us of that. When you look at scripture and around here, Clyde, you obviously can sense we talk a lot about collisions in scripture where you see Jesus run into someone's life who's broken and he leaves them more whole than broken. When you see him colliding with people, what is it about him that you see that tells you he can handle our truth? The fact that he took on our skin and he was fully human, that he left his place of full peace, goodness, kingship, and entered in in the great incarnation and took on skin, our humanity. And he was fully human. If I think there's a beautiful, I'm so thankful for moments in scripture, like the moment in scripture in the garden, where uh, although a lot of that conversation between Jesus and God was private, insight into the fullness of his humanity, I don't want to do this. Is there any other way? And three times, it wasn't just like one time. And he's weeping and he's groveling and in the mud and he is despondent. It says, I am at the point of deep grief. And it's in those moments that I go, if Jesus, if you can't take people farther than you're willing to go yourself, first and says, I give you permission to bring whatever you're experiencing before God, because I modeled for you, that is what we do. That's how we do the unthinkable. That's how we get through the unthinkable. We don't set with God at like a level 10 and we go, God, I'm just really kind of miffed at you. No, he brought it all. Look at Elijah, right? Elijah screams out, I don't want to do this anymore. Take my life, God. I, I'm done. And he says it multiple times. And what does God do? you know, the one that we're all like freaked out about, instead of going, Elijah, what's wrong with you? Like I gave you, you know, all of this power and I, I let you call fire from heaven. I hope you raise people from the dead. Instead, he goes, lay down. I want to give you cake. It's in these scriptures, scripture, through the grid of our own pain, we look at God through the grid of what we were raised in. So if we have a despondent father, we have a despondent God. We have an overbearing mother. We have an overbearing God. And what God wants to do is go, wait a minute, you are seeing through the grid, and I want to change your prescription per our earlier conversation. I want to change the prescription in which you see me because you're seeing me through the lens of your woundedness and not through who I really am. And who I really am is a God that can hold it all modeled over and over again, just like with the woman at the well. He could have just said, I'm Jesus and I love you. Instead, he did not shy away from the ugliest, most shameful part of her story. And instead of what she in her village, which was ostracization, completely, she was the town whore. I mean, she'd been with multiple men and now she is alone. Instead of shying away from her hard story, he engages it head on 
now you have a different choice. You don't have to live the way that you were living. You don't have to believe the lies. When I see you in all of you, you are loved. You are loved. You talk a lot about God wanting more for us than to be think he wants. Well, I think he wants us to live fully awake to our life. Freedom is not the absence of pain. It's the freedom. Freedom is really the presence of God in our pain. And I don't think that he wants us just to live a, you know, a hopeful life and eradicate the parts that are true. I think he wants us to understand that he can bear, and so can we, both hurt and hope, grief and gratitude, faith, that to live free and fully alive means we actually get to bring all of it, not the, the ugly parts, not eradicate parts of us so that we can come to the Lord with some kind of better offering, and a fully alive life, abundance, means we get to bring all of it in the full, all of it in the heavy, all of it in the joy, and we get to bring it and he holds all of it with us. That's freedom. That's that's real and that's a fully alive life. Mm, I love it so much. You know, you've talked a lot about, you know, our experience and the way that we view God is wounded because of our experience, our what I call them with our parents. Mm-hmm. I'm trying to finish up a book on this topic myself, but you bring up this this idea and you brought it up early on about honoring your mother and father. And there was a time when not telling your truth honored them. And you've since changed your mind about that. I think there are a lot of people listening who are going through things. And I know our work around here at Collide, we hear these stories all the time. There are things with their parents. They're going through things with their spouse. They're going through things with friends and family that they feel like they can't be honest about because they have to honor the people who hurt them. And in honoring them, they're silent, they're pretending, and they're hurting themselves while quote unquote honoring others. What do you want to say about that? Um, Well, honoring is not lying. So if we want to look at honor, honor is given of saying, I, I honor the fact that you are my father or my mother, but I will not lie to, to keep you and protect you from your own repentance. So when we honor father and mother over telling the truth, we actually put them in a place of idolatry where God is supposed to be. And in telling, if we don't tell the truth, then we actually are in the way of someone else's repentance or their ability to repent. Now we can't make them repent. That's not our call. But I will, if I choose to say, well, I don't want to say any of that because that's just going to make them hurt. So what, in essence, what you're will continue the generational pattern of pain and lying and harm, however that has come. I will continue that and it will be passed on not only through me, but through my children for the sake of honor. That's not, that's not honor. That's. And when we look at that and we go, can I honor my father? I love my father deeply. My father has wounded me quite a bit. We have had discussions about that. It's not gone well. We have come to places where 
understanding now. Um, but that work nonetheless had to be done for my own freedom. And so that my dad was no longer in the place of God for me, but God became in the place of God. So I no longer had I putting place of where God should be and telling the truth meant that I no longer am walking in idolatry. So I think we have to really define and understand that honor doesn't mean lying. Honor means I will tell the truth in love, but I will tell the truth of what happened so that I can start to live out freedom and not carry generational patterns and cursings into my children and into my marriage and in even into my relationship with God, all for the sake of cover up. I don't want to hurt someone. So you have a choice. You live out the woundings and you live out their unhealed parts that have landed on you. And then you inevitably, we know this scientifically, we know this spiritually, pass that on to your children. Or you say, and for the sake of honor, I will tell the truth. It's so interesting because I think we've really, and I say we, uh, the capital C mm -hmm. church, have done this, uh, not even a disservice, we've done harm. Uh, by almost fast forwarding people's brokenness and pain because we don't want to deal with the mess of what will happen bring it out. So we we actually are trying to stuff it down. I mean, I'm thinking about different people, the just people that come up as I've you know spoken places and we have conferences and all these conversations and I who kept coming up to me at a retreat. It was an all weekend long retreat I was speaking at. And she kept saying like, why am I crying? Why should I be crying if, if I'm good with God? Like I shouldn't be crying. Right. And, and we have this conversation and, and, and finally I'm like, you keep bringing up something that happened 20 years ago and that you don't think you should be crying because you're good with God. What happened? Right. And she begins to explain about how she was engaged and she broke up with her fiance and went and and he wasn't a Christian and that's why she broke up with him. And then he killed himself, which was tragic. And she was so upset and she went to her church and they told her, um, you, you should on, you made the right choice. You're good with God. You shouldn't be sad about this. That was on him. And so there was no space for our grief, right? Like, I, I mean, there's so many stories I could tell, but it's almost like we I'm being real about our truth because we don't think other people can handle our truth. And we've actually been told right. that. Data we've been to shown back it up. That. Other people have have shown we they don't want to handle that big giant iceberg that of our lives that it, we're living with every single day, and so when you think about people listening to this conversation and they're like, "Oh man, I have some truth that's eating me up inside, and I'm afraid to be real about it for them." Well, I mean, it's why I created what I created. It's why I not only wrote, you know, Free and Fully Alive, the book, but it's why I create trainings, three-day intensives online and in-person called Freedom Academy to truly help create safe space for you to be able to process this and really to be able to understand. Because I think that's a lot of what's going on. Like, we know their story. We know we don't like the patterns that we're living in right now. We know that, like, we've tried a lot of things and it's not working. So then we feel shame that it's not working. 
It's like deep within us, that image bearer person knows there's got to be more than this. There's, there's got to be more than this. And so what I would say is seek out those places, read the books, get the, take the courses, go into the spaces where they are talking permission to be honest, where there are spaces and there is, there's remnants that are happening here at Collide and with me at Freedom Movement and different spaces where you can get in and start to go, I need to be honest about what's going on. I need to understanding why and start getting curious. And I think that's the thing. I think we get really overwhelmed with like, oh my gosh, I have all these stories. I've got so much crap. I want everything to be fixed and it all feels overwhelming. And then I just say, okay, let's take a breath. What, what into right now? Like what, what is the one next step that you can be curious about? Maybe it was listening to this podcast and you go, well, gosh, I'm curious about that. So maybe I get the book or maybe I see that Clyde has an online thing or they're doing a, I see that freedom movement is doing their next Academy. What's the next step and pray about it. Okay. What's the next step God that you want me to do? Cause you're not going to be able to manage all of what you have in front of you right now. It's too much. And your little heart is more ever want to admit. And it's also stronger than you ever knew. So I think we just have to look at the story and go, where can I be more curious? Can I be more curious about the ping in my heart? I know things aren't okay. And instead of feeling shame about that, distractive behaviors to try to mitigate that pain, go into spaces where you can begin to be curious about engagement of that. That is where freedom will live. And I'm going to tell you this 1,000 times, whether or not you are living it out. You are living it out. So do you want to start living out a more truer, freer story? How free do you want to be? Because you ignoring your story does not, it is absolutely, and to all the science and all the spiritual scriptural references of this, you are living out the harm that you endured and it is affecting the way you love, lead, and listen, period, until you tell story. Hmm. Carrie, you're the best. Ah, this is fun. I, just met you. I just met you. I don't even know if I've ever said that to anybody on this oh, podcast. Oh, it's been so good. I'm so glad you're having but these conversations. Like, like a mutual yes. story. Eating this up. I love it so much. I'm going to check out all that you're doing and I want other people to do that. How can they follow you, get a hold of your book, find out about freedom? Movement? Yeah. So free and fully alive. It's this little sucker right here is on Amazon and anywhere that you can buy books. Um, it's been bookstores and whatever. Uh, you can follow me, Carrie Scott Garcia on Instagram. You can also follow freedom movement, freedom underscore movement. That's the organization, the nonprofit that I run. And you can find every, all of our subscribing, all of our trainings at wearefm.org. Wearefm.org. And that's where I live and that's where I breathe and that's where all of my coaches live and breathe. And we have all kinds of stuff for you to start off with. The book, see what God might be doing, get curious and just be kind. You don't have to do it all in one day. My goodness, sweet girls and gentlemen that are listening, you're all, we just want to plow through our freedom, right? And I think kindness comes in the fact that we can, most of us have been pretty harmed. Um, Even if you had the white picket fence, the enemy did not uh, move past your house. He was there. And in order to expose him, we get to go where he was unnamed and unchallenged for years. And that is where 
moves kindly, slowly, and curiously. Mm, Such good words. Thank you for hanging out, Carrie. Yes, it was my pleasure. Friend, I hope that you enjoyed the conversation with Carrie. I know I took ravenous notes and maybe you're on a treadmill or a car and you couldn't do that, but I bet your heart took some notes. I don't know where you're at today, but I'm wondering if you are giving a permission slip to be real about your whole truth and what is going on. I want to remind you that God can not only handle it, but he can heal it. And so the invitation and the permission I want to hand you today is to do the next thing, as Carrie said, take the next first best step to bring your pain and your brokenness so that he can walk alongside you towards wholeness. If you need help doing that, we can help you. We have a wholeness and counseling program. You can go to our website at weekali.net and resources. There's so many episodes on our podcast with counselors. There's blogs. We have the Manager Anxiety Guide, which was written by multiple mental health therapists as contributors. We also have the online counseling bundle where you get a sit with 12 different counselors and walk through a course that comes along with a guide and and helps you truly start dealing with some of the stuff that you're way too locked up inside. So friend, keep colliding with Jesus and know that he runs right into the mess, right into the broken, and he loves you there and he also walks you out into something more beautiful, so much more healthy, so much more good. We'll catch you next week.